This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Support for this podcast comes from U.S. Bank. When it's time for a new credit card, the best ones do way more than just buy stuff. And that's why U.S. Bank offers credit cards that make every day more rewarding. Earn cash back. Score points when you shop, dine out, travel, or binge watch. Or get a low intro APR. U.S. Bank credit cards were designed to fit your lifestyle. So make every day more rewarding. And check out usbank.com slash credit card. U.S. Bank credit cards are issued by U.S. Bank National Association N.D. Some restrictions may apply. Member FDIC. We're still live on March 11th, 2020. We're not... uh still able to do an internet-based podcast. That's good news, don't you think? Yeah, I made a joke a couple podcasts ago being like, oh, we talked about anything other than the Niners losing the Super Bowl, you know, like the coronavirus, you know, less sad things like the coronavirus. It's not so funny a couple weeks later. I mean, what, what's what's going on? There's a, I was already having internet issues myself with the film and video earlier before we got on. With you, there's problems. Is the world coming to an end, List, what, what, what do you make of all this? Uh, I don't think... It's coming to an end, but uh, there's there's something that Nassim Taleb says, which is interesting. It's not just paying attention to X, which in this case is the coronavirus, but F of X, which is the second order effects from the coronavirus, which is going to be cities shut down, quarantines, hospitals overwhelmed. I mean, if you do it right, the hospitals won't be overwhelmed. That's the whole point of social distancing and trying to wash your hands and you know, buying some supplies and not really coming in contact with people. And hopefully it slows it down enough that if you have it, you don't give it to someone else. If you don't have it, you don't catch it. So you can't give it to someone else uh, very often. It slows down the spread. And then, you know, people eventually get sick. Probably not you and me. Hopefully not. Uh, We're younger than the uh, age where people seem to get really sick. Although nobody seems to know the long-term effects of this, which is a whole other conversation. But, But it shouldn't be, you know, again, like it should be weathered. But if we don't sort of do these things, then there'll be a surge on the hospital on the hospitals, just like what happened in Italy, and it'll overwhelm the system. And once the health system crashes and people who have broken legs or appendicitis or any other problem can't be treated and the health workers are overwhelmed and also some of them get sick, uh, then you're going to have you know, possibly total chaos. So, you know, it's easy to say, oh, well, I'm not going to get sick. I'm, you know, 48 or 38 or I don't have a heart condition. But you got to look at the second order effects of this. And so the smart people I read are always like, in an exponential situation, the time to panic is before it, before it seems necessary. And by the time it's obvious to panic, it's too late. And you end up like Italy where it's completely shut down. And I I wonder like whether some of these industries like the airline industry is going to recover. I mean, the airline industry runs, obviously it's, they consolidated. There's a lot of shit about the airline industry that's really annoying, but I mean, all these companies are levered up. They all did stock buybacks and now they're just going to get sucked from all the revenues going to get sucked out of them for what? Like 
three months. I don't know how long it's going to be before things get back to normal. They can't just operate in these restaurants. How are the restaurants going to operate in so many other industries? So I don't think it's the end of the world, but it's, uh, it's bad. And if people don't deal immediately and they should have dealt a couple of weeks ago, it's going to get worse. I think, yeah, I think you need, yeah. I, I mean, I think obviously I'm on the side of you better take this seriously and whatnot, but even if you're on the side of, Oh, people are overreacting and this is panic. Um, th- these are just tangible changes. You can't deny no matter what, no matter what side you're on. I mean, your experience, you saw tout getting canceled. The NCAA tournaments already announced no fans of warriors are going to play in front of no fans. I mean, who knows if these seasons are even going to happen. I mean, yeah, the, the ramifications are crazy. I, I'm, I'm kind of just kind of cons- wondering seems like it's going to be when not if uh chloe's going to not go to school like what i think seattle might have just canceled public schools right before we started recording what uh what are your thoughts on sending your kid to, to a public school right now well there's a couple thoughts i saw some video where the cdc guy or i don't know if he's a cdc guy but he's a immunologist or somebody who's an expert in the area said that the school thing's tricky because kids don't really get sick from this but they can obviously transmit it to other people and other parents but you know, nurses have kids. Some nurses are single moms. The people that are needed to treat the sick are dependent on school to keep their kid while they work. So if, yeah, you, shut down, if you shut down schools, it's, it's got, you know, might make things worse rather than better, especially if the kids themselves aren't really at risk. So yeah, but people panic. I mean, our school out here probably till Friday and then there's a little break and I don't think we're coming back from break for a while. I think it's going to be a couple of months. So you know, we're, we're going to try to go to the park and go to the beach maybe and do some outdoor stuff and that's not like in a crowded place and try to, you know, I don't think we can just stay in the house. We have that small place in the country that we share with a, a friend. We may go out there um, more often than we would have and for longer than we would have. It's a little more isolated, but... I mean, right, no, so forget from the from the public school standpoint, from a parent standpoint, point, though. What, 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 you know, would you, I, I I work from home. My wife's at home. We can we could keep Chloe at home. You know, fairly we could do it. So should we be doing that? Maybe so. I mean, I don't want I don't want to be telling people that because because you know, a it's a real pain and it's hell to be stuck in the house with your kids all day every single day, <laughs> uh, and b. You know they're not really at risk, although again they can spread it. You know and they can catch it and spread it to other people. So Sasha, you're saying is going on. The school is going on on postponed right now. Is what you're saying? No, 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 no. It's well, I think they have a little break after this week. So they're already they're, planned. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Non, non, you, non-related. Okay. Yeah, gotcha. but I just don't think they're going to send them back. Gotcha. Okay. Like when they come back, I think it's they're just going to keep them out for a while. Yeah, so, no, I'm, I'm for the social distancing. Like I played poker last week and I'm already like regretting it. Just sitting there, you know, sitting around poker is about the worst thing. But I mean, I knew the people, but that doesn't really mean anything. And it yeah. was, you know, 18 people or whatever. So I probably shouldn't even have done that. By the way, uh, real quick, I was looking for one card on the river for a royal flush. Uh, I know you didn't get it, it doesn't count. But what did you get when you got yours? You got a straight flush, right? No, I had a royal flush. On oh, the it was royal. Really? How could you not? How could you not remember okay. there was a royal that flush? Straight is pretty good. Fucking too. Ton, how many fucking times have I, I told this story? You don't even remember? I'm not, Jeff I'm not Jeff Erickson, and I okay, royal. I knew. I thought it was straight. Man, okay, you know. So you've obviously looked up the odds of what that is. Yeah, it's like one in six hundred something thousand. 650. Yeah. Pretty yeah. crazy. All right. Wow. I, okay. I, I honestly, I don't think in my head, I remembered it was all the way to the Royal. All right. That story. I got it in the turn. I got it in the turn, man. 
You know, wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and you sat there and agonized, right? You no, well, well, no, I, I had to, like, I had to, I had to uh, make sure I got it. Like, I had to calmly keep taking cards uh, and not, because if I had, like, gone all in, say, before I got it, like, after the flop and everyone folded, you know, there was a high hand bonus. So I couldn't take the chance that, like, you know, the hand ended. And I didn't know that I'd get on the turn. I needed to see all the cards. So I was, like, checking so when I got the Royal Flush, I think I checked and the dude went all in because he had two spades also. And he thought, you know, oh, maybe I have the ace of spades or something. And he wanted to push me out. And you should have agonized. It. Yeah, I should have. I should have. I should have. Yeah. Right, right. It was pretty badass, though. It was really okay, good. I apologize. I apologize. Maybe you should. How you dare know, you? Free enough. Straight <laughs> flush. <laughs> it was straight <laughs> flush kind of dude. Come on. Royal flush. But anyway, the social distancing, I mean, it makes sense. And I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I mean, that, that's, yeah, better, safe, and sorry, and all that, I guess. Um, well, it's too late. I mean, you still do it, but I mean, you should have done it like two, three weeks ago. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the whole thing of like, oh, well, nobody wants to like, you know, everybody, I, I tweeted about this today. There's two kinds of people, right? Yeah. So I was going to put okay. that. Yeah. Good threat. You did so, threat, yeah. so it's like, we get stressed out about a threat and some people, they want to remove the stress from their mind. We, everyone wants to remove the stress from their mind. Everybody does, but some people do it by, I don't want to think about this. I'm going to go live my life. Okay. They, they, if I'm not thinking about it, then I'm not stressed. And other people are, okay, I'm stressed about this threat. I need to do something or do whatever it is that I can do. And then once I've done that, I'll feel less stressed because even though it could still happen, I've done what's in my power. So I'm you know, content that I've taken the actions I should take. And the problem is like the first type of people, as long as they're not paying attention, their heads in the sand, they feel great. And they think, and, and they're annoyed with you for pointing out, Hey, I think we should all do something about this because every time you point it out, it reminds them of the thing they're trying to forget, which is, dude, I don't want to think about this. It's the flu. Let's move on. So they're dangerous because they can cause contagious disease. But at the same time, people like us are dangerous because sometimes in trying to mitigate the harm, you know, the thing we feel, need to feel better about ourselves is doing something. I got to do something. Busy bodies. Ooh, I got to go do this. Oh, I got to make sure people aren't doing this. I got to talk to everybody, make sure they're not, you know, I got to scold everybody. So the busybodying that we do, or, you know, I'll say you're probably like me, you want to do something about it. That is also very dangerous. And, you know, you see like totalitarian states where people are like quarantining other people at gunpoint. You, you must do this. You must not, you know, be a risk to me. You know, that you can become a total fascist when you're like us, when you need to do something about it to remove the stress. The people who want to stick their head in the sands, well, they're dangerous, obviously, because, they might just ignore the problem and make it worse and spread the disease. But we're dangerous because we might way overreact. And again, if X is a disease, F of X might be 20X. It might be way worse than the disease. So we're both dangerous. And I think the task for people like us who are like, to get rid of the stress, I need to do the right thing about this, is to uh, not be a fascist, but just persuade. Just convince people, show them the math, exponential growth, convince people to take measures and the task for people who don't want to think about it because it's too stressful. They need to tolerate a little stress and realize that the thinking about it and taking a couple simple steps, like maybe not going to that crowded bar or maybe not going on that trip is, is all right. It doesn't mean it's going to happen. It doesn't mean it doesn't have to be a disaster. A lot of times people who think there's nothing wrong, it's like, if it's not going to happen, then I, why am I even bothering? You know, if I'm not going to die, why would I care? It's like they're too, it's got to be all or nothing. And that's a defense mechanism. And Nassim Tlaib, he points out, 
He's like, when you're wearing a seatbelt, you're not predicting a crash. You're not saying, I'm wearing a seatbelt because I think I'm going to crash today. No, you're wearing a seatbelt because you know it's possible you'll crash today. And the act of putting on the seatbelt is pretty minor. And if you, in the unlikely event you do get into a crash, you're going to be really happy that you made that little tiny adjustment to your life. Yeah, I've seen it kind of presented on Twitter that it's like either on one side and the math side and you're smart or you're on the other side and it's team dum-dums, which I, I wouldn't really quite put it that way. But um, And then I'd also argue what is the downside of being on extra cautious and, and taking all these measures. But, and then on the counter to that, what you're saying too, there's all these unknown consequences and ramifications that are going to happen that we're going to see with all these, you know, kind of extreme measures here, but it's got to, they should have been taken two weeks ago. You're absolutely right. And maybe it's too late, but, um, I think at this point, I mean, it's, the, the, the cities have to do this. You see like the Cle- someone, I think it was the Cleveland, someone's the, the Cavs owner says they don't want to listen to the suggestions and we still want to, to allow fans. I mean, this is going to create some really crazy issues too when it becomes, you know, money versus the health of our country. Yeah, but these people are idiots because you're going to lose way more money if the hospitals collapse and society's in that state yeah. and the state that Italy's in and or worse. Yes. Um, remember there's a lot of guns in the U S like she could get really, uh, out of hand if people get desperate. Um, so, you know, things can get a lot worse. So I, I actually think, as I said, the people, the, the preppers, uh, are the people who can be most dangerous. It's kind of like, you ever watch walking dead that show? I actually have never watched it. I watched uh, too much TV, as oh you know, God. but that one's not, not my style. I, I, my wife watched the first couple of seasons. I heard it was good and dropped off, but I'm, it's not my not my. Yeah, job. so I watched the first couple of seasons. It was good, and then it got kind of ridiculous. I mean, it was already ridiculous, but it got more ridiculous. And the thing about that show, which was interesting, was, you know, there's a zombie apocalypse. And after a short while, they kind of figured out, like the living humans figured out pretty much how the zombies worked. And they had pretty good strategies to deal with them. Like they were a lot scarier when it first happened. Then once you have some experience with zombies, as long as you don't get eaten, you start to figure out how they operate and you can kind of counter them. But so after like a season, like most of the scary stuff that happened was the other humans. It wasn't the zombies. And it's the same thing. It's like X and F of X, right? So like the X is the zombies or the X is the coronavirus. But, But how are the humans behaving in this situation? And so once this thing gets totally. into to a too late situation where the hospitals are overwhelmed, nobody can get care who needs it. I mean, I, I saw something that like there's people with like late stage kidney disease who need medication and all that medication is made in China and that supply chain has been completely disrupted. What are they going to do? Ugh. You know, if you take medication, try to get a year of it. I know they're not supposed to give it to you, but find out ways to get extra. Get, go to different doctors. I mean, you know, you can't trust the system to hold up. It's too fragile. And do you, know that, do you know that kids are burning their hands by buying like Purell, which I'm going to ask you about <laughs> for a different reason, uh, like they, from 7-Elevens. Like they're, they're, they're making uh, like, you know, sanitizer and kids are burning their hands with it. Like it's crazy shit out there, man. Yeah. I mean, I wouldn't. Yeah. Again, like if you're a kid, like just wash your hands. I mean, you're not going to get sick. You just... You know, you can but get someone else. Okay. I, I, mean, I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't use that, that shit. That may sound like a funny question. I don't use that shit. I don't use that kind of shit. You would not say. Well, you I think a lot, I, I, you have bacteria. You have, you have sunscreen. Yeah. So I'm curious your thoughts on on put, using that as sanitizer. I don't like it. I I feel like there's bacteria on your hands that it kills, like good healthy bacteria that probably helps fight things. Your hands get cracked. Probably the more that you use, the less defenses they have naturally, because you're killing off an ecosystem that's in your skin. And so I, I don't really, uh, I wouldn't use it. I use soap. I'll wash yeah. my hands a little bit more. If I go out, wash my hands, transact, buy groceries, come home, wash my hands. Nothing crazy, but just use soap. 
Yeah, I mean, you could just get it in any way. I mean, even my blue apron and my groceries delivered to me, could I guess. I, guess, I don't think that it, stay, it only stays supposedly on the surface a couple hours, but um, yeah, I don't know. It's crazy. One thing I must point out is that I was wrong about the Corona beer. I found it on Snopes and I sent it to you. Yes. Uh, supposedly that was just poor headlines and they use like beer and generals uh, falling off and just, you know, related it to people. Yeah. So well, you were right to be skeptical of that. Yeah, there's so, because, because there's a huge a cottage industry of dunking on the on the dumb trumpers and they didn't say trumpers it was like oh the people are dumb enough to believe that corona beer is the virus nobody's dumb enough to believe that like maybe five people are dumb enough to believe that literally and and they think oh you supported trump you must be dumb enough to believe that but if you're if you think that then you're the one that's dumb not the person you know i mean it's just the credulousness of huge swaths of our uh population just you know it's not that they're dumb like most people understand sort of how to navigate things to some extent but the things that they they so easily are persuaded about other people and these are i think they're intelligence operations i mean you see you know the legacy media spout stuff that's implying that that the other side's so stupid and it's sort of like you want they want people to think that the other side is stupid and immoral and evil and it keeps you know people who should have common inter- common cause divided so I, I think it's an operation. So whenever I see someone dunk on that kind of thing, I'm like, A, this is almost certainly not true. And B, the only one that looks like an idiot to me is the person making that assertion. Yeah. And then it's people like me who fall for the headlines. Yeah, that's what I mean. Making that assertion. Very yeah. Yes. Well. Yes. Uh, very super, but, super. but at least you had, at least you were smart enough to, uh, or not smart enough, man enough to, uh, admit it and send me the, uh, cause I didn't look, I didn't look into right. it. Yeah. No, I was, I was curious. Cause I'm like, yeah, let's my bread on that. But, um, so any other thoughts on, on, on this coronavirus, which is, uh, obviously officially scary as shit and changing the world in which we've lived like never before. Um, I saw, I believe this Ted Bell said real man gets COVID 20. Uh, I laughed at that, yeah. but uh, any, any other it's, final thoughts on this? No doubt about that. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I guess like, it's exposing like the markets are crashing and all that stuff. Um, I got all my 90%. I balanced things out to 90% cash last week. Uh, I don't, I, I didn't time it well cause I did it the wrong day, but at least I got it. I didn't, I wasn't really invested this week, which was good. I would say that, that it's obviously the virus is serious and, you know, hopefully we do a better job than Italy and get through it. And we will get through it one way or the other. But it's exposing the really dangerous thing is the how fragile the system really is, like our supply chains. You know that uh, the test kits from the CDC, the CDC partnered with some private company based in UK or something like that, or maybe US and UK. And that private company did three billion stock buybacks, and because of that, uh, they didn't have any money to invest in the raw materials to make the tests. So literally, like we're missing an ingredient for the tests. We're waiting on it, and the company, they the private corporation that got some cronyism deal can't deliver what they're supposed to do and instead use their excess money on stock buybacks instead of buying what they needed and it's just like boeing that you know did all these stock buybacks instead of building safe planes and the whole economy's been hollowed out and i was talking to somebody about this but like you know if you want to sell a company if you want to sell your company like you'll have people these um private equity guys who are like all right well what are your customers worth Okay, we can market to them, and then they would say something like, "Well, okay, you know, let's fire everybody in the company except like the three tech guys who keep it running, 
and just strip mine it of all the, you know, the good stuff. And the subscribers will be like, Hey, where's this feature or this column? But they'll just kind of keep going for like three years till everybody realizes the site is crap. You've seen that happen to sites. And then they'll have gotten the money out and then the site will just be like an empty husk. And they'll also probably take on some debt to the extent they can. And the site will just be an empty husk and fold. And they'll have pulled all the money out of it. And they do this, you know, even to a company like Boeing, basically, where they're like just buying back the stock with all their money instead of investing in, you know, better quality planes. They just kind of refurbish the old model and throw some hack fix together and, you know, market it and sell it to these airlines and the plane crashes. And it's like all throughout, I, I feel like, I mean, I've just read like little bits and pieces about this, not like, every, but I think like this has been, the whole economy has been financialized and we've outsourced real production to other countries and it's padded the bottom lines of a few people, but we're like, our economy is incredibly fragile. Like we don't make stuff and everything's running on the thinnest of margins. It's levered up. And you look at these airlines flying empty planes. I mean, how much margin do airlines have to, yes. to go without tickets for three months? I mean, they're going to need bailouts. And then Wall Street's going to whine like little bitches and ask for bailouts. I mean, these Wall Street guys who support whichever candidate you know is the most hardcore, doesn't want Medicare for all, doesn't want socialized medicine. And I don't even want socialized medicine unless a lot of changes happen. You know, I'm not for all that anymore. But at the same time, it's like, if you're going to be like, no, this isn't the way to run things. Then you better fucking take your medicine when you lose, when you're having a hard time. But no, these, these guys are going to beg for, to the Fed to bail them out, and they probably will. You know, they probably will do it all over again. And that's when uh, the system's going to get called in the serious question and, and uh, going to an alternate system like Bitcoin or whatever else. You know, people are going to be running from, if it just becomes even more obvious than it was in 2008, which it might have to. So I think there's, it's not the end of the world but it may be the catalyst for a gigantic pivot um, that's already was going to happen, but this is like the pin that popped the bubble. And, right. and there's going to be some very bad intermediate, short and intermediate consequences if this truly does pop completely because, again, we, we were like the you know, Wile E. Coyote in the cartoon where we're running off the cliff and we keep running. But like, as long as we don't look down, you know, he like finally looks down like eight feet off the cliff and then he crashes, you know, falls. That's sort of what we're like, uh, we're like, we were off the cliff already and the coronavirus is making us look down. Yeah, man, this is all very depressing and scary. Well, there's an opportunity though. There's an opportunity though. I mean, the, the, oh, oh the, you mean like the, I, I know opportunity to get on uh, to for cheap cruise tickets? I've heard. I'm oh, sure that's a real man uh, is already on the cruise. He's yeah. got the boat to himself, but no, he's flying the uh, Boeing Max thirty seven thirty seven to the cruise ship. Literally, I was reading the article. I forget what it was, and the, and the quote was great. The guy, the guy, literally in the column, they quote him saying, "Got to be honest with you. You contacting me about this has me second guessing this whole decision." The news, you know, reaching out to him. He's like, got to be honest. The fact that you're reaching out to me, maybe, maybe I'm questioning my life. Yes. Anyway, continue. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. It, there's an opportunity in the sense that there's like an old system that's fighting to, I mean, they've got literally a brain dead guy running for president against Trump. Trump is by far the more lucid of the two candidates. Think about that for a second. You've got a brain dead guy versus Trump basically in the finals. I mean, this is just, and by the way, I don't want to talk politics because I'm out on that now, but I will make one prediction. It will not be Joe Biden on the debate stage against Trump. It will be somebody else. It's, they're they're going to try to close this down. Get it, they don't want to have him debate anymore. Say, come on, we've got to rally around Biden. And then they're going to have him pick a VP, which is the real person they're choosing. And then in a month or two before the debates or convention where he'd be exposed as being completely out of his mind, they're going to 
put their VP as the nominee. That's my prediction. There's no way they can let this guy stay. It's one thing for three minutes and he starts going off the cuff and saying random stuff. You put him out there in a, a full debate, I, I don't think he'll survive it. I don't think his candidacy will survive it. And I think they know it. He just got in a shouting match with an NRA about an NRA. I saw, problem. It. I saw it. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, I, I fully don't doubt you there. And I promise this will be the last political question. But just real quick, can you touch on that thread I sent you? Before we started talking, and just a friend of mine brought up the fact that he listened to the podcast last week, and he said, you know, what list crazy vote? Why would you vote Tulsi unless you don't care about, you know, Biden versus Bernie? And it's basically, you know, the whole obviously, you know, the argument, strategic though. vote, strategic vote explain. argument. Yes, yeah. you do better. Yes, explain. Yeah. Uh, I I don't owe my vote to anybody, and I, if you give me the option that I want, I'll take it. And if you want to exclude my option from the debates, okay, I'll still vote for her. I. I can't control what they do. I can't control what other people do. I think a lot of people would have said uh, in the Republican primary last time that voting for Trump was a waste. You know, you got to vote for Rubio or Jeb Bush or somebody. By the end, obviously, it was not a waste. They knew he was ahead. But early on, probably the first primary was kind of a shock. I don't think we know. Sometimes there's a 99 to 1 upset. Sometimes there's a 90 10 upset. Sometimes somebody just does better than expected. I mean, Biden himself was left for dead. So I just think that. You vote for who you want, and if you don't like who I vote for, okay, you can express that, but who cares? It's my vote. You have your vote. Do what you want with it. Um, I certainly don't feel I owe my vote to Biden in the general. I, I didn't owe my vote to Bernie. I do like Bernie as a person. I don't agree with all his policies, but I think he's a good person. I don't know him, but just seems like a person of integrity. He hasn't really done much. I, I don't think he should have endorsed Hillary, but you know, he, he felt like he had to. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. There's, there's not much to it. I mean, I just think we don't know the future, and I, it's not my job to be a political scientist or to watch cable news and figure out, predict the future. It's my job to pick the person I most want to see win. Yeah, that's fair. And that's actually a good point about the, yeah, who would have thought, you thought Trump would have been a throwaway vote at the time, too. But um, And then they use this stuff. They use it. They'll be like, people were like, oh, you can't vote for Bernie. Hillary is the only one that could beat Trump. And that was wrong. And, you know, they... Nobody reckons with that. The people who made the uh, electability argument or the uh, strategic voting argument, which they were making for Hillary, they've never reckoned with that, ever. They still blame, you know. So those people, they're not being sincere because they would say, yeah, you're right. That last time, that was kind of a stupid idea and we convinced a lot of people to vote for the wrong person because we know she lost. We don't know if Bernie would have won. The polls said he would have, but no one knows what would have happened. He might not have, but... At least you, you take might not have, then definitely didn't. You know, so um, I think it's a bad argument. That is uh, the point in the thread I sent you, though, was interesting. The guys like uh, the you, whoever candidate you liked uh, lost to this version of Biden, though. So I don't think they would have beat Trump because, man, that is true. But obviously, there's well, no. But if everybody thought like me, then they would have beat then they would have yeah. beat Biden. I mean, that's the thing. It's because of you, yeah. person saying, I don't, I, you know, I'm going to vote for someone else even though I don't like them. Um, it's because of you, maybe, that my candidate didn't win. If you just voted for the person you liked and not who they were telling you to vote for, because in the beginning, anybody could win. And then the media says, oh, no, we, we can't, she, Tulsi can't win. She's not even in the debates, and they exclude her. But if everyone's like, you know what, I think she has the best policies, I'm not going to listen to the media. Then she would gain traction. Then maybe that she'd get more money. Then maybe she would have won. So I'm not going to let you or uh, the TV screen or some uh, oligarch who owns the station who has an agenda dictate to me what I'm going to vote. 
you know, and, and I feel like you're just a dupe. You're just voting for what you're told to vote for, you know, if you think that. And had you early in the process committed to whoever it is you like, then you might have won. And that thread you sent me, and I don't even know the name. I, I muted the guy. Totally moronic. I, I can't. It's, does, it's like beneath, beneath commentary. Really. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay. It's so obviously uh, stupid. It's so obviously stupid. It leaves out so much stuff. There's so many false premises in that thing. I can't even. It's not even worth debunking. Okay, no, no, you already, you already uh, answered what I was after. What, yeah. uh, well, no, it's not just strategic voting. It's this premises of why you have to suck it up and vote for Biden. Like, he doesn't even talk about foreign policy and the warmongering and the difference. You know, I mean, there's just so many things that that guy's a total idiot and acting so conclusive. Like, oh, I know, here's the truth, assholes. Ha ha. You know, it's <laughs> so fucking stupid. That shtick is weak. I, I, I mean, like it's beneath you that that dude that thread. <laughs> it's not beneath because I wanted I sent it right before we recorded this, and I wanted to get you fired. No, 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 no. But it's been, like, like, yeah, no. It's not even yeah. where yeah, someone actually just sent it to me. Right third, yeah, it's third. This off too. Third-rate amateur argument. So I get why you waited so long to to bury the lead in this podcast. Uh, maybe coronavirus <laughs> might, have been, might have been worth leading, I guess. But still, uh, we had the beat Chris List uh, baseball draft last weekend, and I just dominated this draft so much. You just want to talk about anything, be it a pandemic, whatever. Um, so uh, no, let's talk. We talked picked back back to back. You picked tenth, I picked eleventh. Uh, we can talk uh, as little or as much you want about this. Uh, but what did you think? I liked my team. I, I thought your team was good too. I thought you got the balance that you needed. I felt like you did a very professional draft and your team was good. I just liked my players better. And, um, and I think that the fact that Mike Masato liked your team is, that should be very worrying for you. Oh, I didn't see that. He did. Um, yeah. I, I, I've heard, I, Greg said it on XM or something, a couple of praise in your column. So that's a, I'm sure it's a death knell for me, but I, I, I've, I've actually prepared for baseball this year, unlike ever before. And I've just been, been, been ready for the drafts I've been in. But, um, and having said that though, luckily I was because not only did you snipe me on Scherzer, you know, before pick 11, which right. is pretty much unheard of, but I had, you know, I'd done a little more, I I'd really set my sights on Kershaw in round three, which in a 12 team league is still like 10 picks above his ADP or something. And you swooped one pick before me there. So that was tough. And my guy, Jordan Alvarez, might have saved me from myself there. He was gone, too. So both those went way above ADP. So I had to switch it up there. But, um, yeah, I, 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 liked, uh, I liked my team. This would be a, a fun one uh, to follow. Getting And uh, now you did swoop me in the beginning, but this is one that I ended up with, quote, unquote, my guys. Like, in fact, I wrote a column yesterday on Yahoo saying the five guys I'm going extending above ADP. And I just realized before this pod that I drafted four of them on this team. Sano, Fran Mill. Reyes and um, oh, uh, Posey later, and um, I forget someone else. But uh, who? Uh, what? 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 Uh, oh, the one mistake I made here was drafting with closers. There was a severe run, and I should have went with Matthew Boyd instead of Bradley, who's like not even the name to closer on Arizona. And it got a couple later too with with Kella and, and Jimenez. But um, I don't know. Do you have any thoughts on your team? Yeah. So I went Scherzer over Bueller, and now Scherzer's got some minor ailment, which I do not like, but hopefully it's no big deal. Then you went round two story. I picked Arenado and I was, I got kind of drunk during the day. I'm not going to lie. And I was also on my laptop because I was in like the country place. I didn't have my big screen, uh, regular desk. And so I was still like kind of getting my cheat sheet together as the draft was starting. And I was like, Oh, Arenado's there in the second round. Good. Take him. And then right as I took him, I was like, Oh wait, Jose Ramirez is still there. And I, my sheet has Arenado way higher than Ramirez. Like, you know, not way higher, but higher by a decent margin. 
But you know the steals are pushed up, and it's just an easier path in this draft, in this kind of league, to take Ramirez there. But I just I took Arenado, just did it. Okay, fine. Uh, I was happy with Hold on a second. I want, I want to talk about that, actually, because I actually did the math before. I thought that there was kind of a drop-off after 14 if they went the way they did. That's why I was fine to take Bueller right after Scherzer because then there were three shortstops there, and they all went, and I just took Story. And maybe Ramirez there, but yeah, I, I like Arenado, but for the same reason you got, you know, you got Xander right after I got Baez and you got Juan Mancada right after I got Robles. It's just the steals factor. I mean, you're hitting, you're, you're taking great hitters. It's just, you know, at some point in this overall contest, it's just the bags. Right. And so I had talked about this on the show that day, which was basically like, I don't, you got to get some speed. I mean, you can't, it's just not a choice. You don't have the choice to ignore it. But I didn't want to be a slave to it. I didn't want to be sacrificing too much value for it. I think in round two, it would have been a sensible place. He would have sacrificed a little value for still a really good player with a lot of speed. And then uh, in round four, you know, I was Bogarts is just a beast. You look at his numbers from last year, you're like, yeah. what a building block in round four. But I would have taken Baez just because a handful more steals. You took him before me, no big deal. I was happy to take Bogarts. Then round five, though, I could have taken, I was thinking about taking Victor Robles, because that would have really just solved that problem. But I was looking at my list, and Robles was like, you know, 80th or something, and Bryant was like 55th. And I just did it. I was like, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with this. And then uh, you took Glass now, who is a, I like him a lot there. I mean, you pushed him, but he's going to go even higher than that now that he's been dealing so well. And then you took Robles one pick before me, and I was stuck with Moncada, who, again, like, Moncada could just be a monster. And he'll, he could steal 15 bases, too. It's not like he's, you know, slow or anything. He may get a little better at stealing. He's still just like 24. So I was happy with that, but I was light in steal. So round seven comes around. I take Tim Anderson, who 15 to 20 bags. Okay, I've got some steals, right? Bogarts gets seven or eight. Bryant may lead off, get five or six. Moncada, 10. Anderson, 15. I'm not, you know, a zero, but I'm light. I'm certainly light. Uh, and then you were light in power because you got like Altuve and Baez and Robles. And so you, you ended up getting some power. My only pick that I really kind of screwed up, I took Liam Hendricks. I sort of like used too much clock and I kind of panicked because I didn't like anybody. So I took my top closer, which is always a cop out. But then I realized I should have just taken Jansen, who I like better. And I feel like I'm going to regret that. I should have just taken Jansen there, who's just dealing now in the spring. I love the old closers who've done it forever. I hate these like new guys who had a quarter of a season of looking good and now they're the you know the closer du jour yeah for sure i, I hate know. those dudes i mean it was just trying in one year ago with over right yeah right? i mean it literally just happened. and no trying at least had a full year of being lights out i mean hendrix just had like a just one yeah a little bit he didn't even you know right. a couple you know so anyway that, hopefully he'll keep the job but you never know but he, obviously yeah. his, his adp is fine and i took ben and in round nine who I think that's just a steal, man. And plus, he steals 10 to 15 bases also. So I, I'm not that light. You know, I'm light, but I'm not that light. And then Judge in round 10, which is just flat-out gambling, but could really pan out. Um, all right, so Glass now is happy to get because Morton and uh, what Paddock or Darvish were already gone there. But I had earmarked before the 5 or 6 turn to take Robles. I don't know, just because of steals in this format, but he's like dealt had an MRI and an oblique. Like his stat cast numbers are so bad, but that's a good hitter's park. He could be even hitting eighth, but I think there's like three players in all of baseball projected to hit 18 or more homers and 30 plus steals, and he's one of them, at least like the bat and steamer. Um, so we'll see how that goes. But you're definitely picking guys I like, like Moncada, Monster for sure. Um, but um, and then going down lower though, so I took Sano in that round ten right before you took Judge. 
Um, speaking of Statcast guys, I mean, uh, he's he's a total monster. Do you know what he? Uh, where did he rank last year? Um, number one in barrel percentage, number one in hard hit percentage, number two in exit velocity. I mean, I get those stats aren't you know they don't necessarily carry over perfectly, but it's pretty beastly for the tenth. He had thirty four homers in one hundred and five games. His RBI pace was crazy. I bet on him at fifty to, to one to win the, the home run title. So loves to know there. I got all these steel guys, and then I ended up with almost too much power. That's why I really should have went void there because Chris Davis ended up being excessive. I like Davis in the sixteenth round, but man, I ended up with Muncie, Sano, Franmil Reyes, Chris Davis, Justin Upton, and Hunter Renfro. That's why I needed the Molina Posey for batting average catchers. But a lot of thumpers were available late here. Yeah, I think you're a little light in average overall. And the yes. catchers will help you a little bit because they won't hurt you, which is, yeah. you know, something. But you're a little light in average. That's where you're going to hurt. And I don't know about runs, runs scored either. You know, some of those thumpers you have are kind of Chris Davis, Sano. They don't score a ton of runs. You know, they have tons of power and the RBIs will be there. Sano, I mean, the thing about him is he just never plays a full season. So we'll see if he holds up. I like it moving to first now, you know, because Donaldson there at third. So Judge is your Severino this year. Hopefully he's not. I mean, I don't, I don't think he's – I guess what well, – actually, Stefani was saying possibly surgery. I don't know. Well, round, he can't really blame you there. But, I mean, it's definitely obviously a risk. Yeah, I think it's sort of like I said 50-50 and, like, it was like a joke, like whether it's surgery or not. But, like, if he's back, like, April 28th or May 1st, that's a crazy steal because I'll have someone in there in the 12-teamer in the meantime – and then Judge comes back. He was a second-round pick you know, before he got hurt. And if this rib heals, he'll just be normal. It's not, like, it's not like a pitcher nursing an elbow injury or something where, you know, who knows? If this heals, it heals. If it doesn't, who knows if I'll drop him, you know, if he's going to be out half the year. But, yeah, I mean, a lot of 10th-round picks don't pan out. I just thought it was time to gamble on him. There. I like Kimball in the 11th. I, I would have grabbed the closer there, actually. So uh, I, you did get me there. That's, that's another one. And then, uh, yeah, go through your next rounds. So let me pull it up. I had it up, and I don't know what I did with the window. Um, you love David Dahl. You got him again. Dude, he's le- he, a little later than your other league, though. Yeah, I know. That was a good deal. He's leading off. I mean, he may steal 15 bases as a leadoff guy. It's just, I feel like I got, you got to get a base of steals. You know, you can't get, you can't just come out with like 30 total steals in your whole draft. I'm still light. It's still a weakness. But I feel like I, you know, with some of my like gamble steal guys, like scrub steal guys, and yeah, Margo, Margo, and then what Dyson super late. Well, I mean, Dyson, who knows if I can even play him, you know, cause he's one of those guys that he's so, he's so useless everywhere else. That, like, can, can you, yeah. But I don't know. I just put him in like maybe week one, I've got some injuries and he's playing six, seven games. I, I felt like my pitching is really strong. My starting I like pitching price too. Yeah. I, like, I mean, I, I, you, I think you kind of reached up for him. That's fine though. He could be a monster. Like if that's feeling in his hand again, that's good. And that's such a good situation in, in LA. Like Urias is so much upside, but like price is a guy that could, you know, re- throw 180 innings far more reasonably. Yeah. Price Mike minor in Texas is now, you know, it's no longer a hitters park possibly. I got, I got Bundy too. love Bundy. The switch in parks there big time. And just organizational switch. just the year of maturity. Everything like lines up for Bundy to be good. I had to reevaluate Brandon Lowe when you took him. You like Lowe? I mean, I took him over uh, Kevin Newman who steals bases, right? That was like another, I I kept passing up the steals for like the better player. I was like, man, Newman could steal 15 bases. If I got another 15 there, I'd be like, not even that light. I took Senzel. I reached for him a bit because wasn't Senzel like the number two overall pick in 2016? And he was like 14 and 12 or something last year and had like a 260 something batting average. He wasn't even that bad last year playing hurt. So I think 
Senzel could steal 25 bases and be a monster. And then Lowe, guy's good. He was raking, and he's not going to run much, but he's just a good bat. So felt like just take another good bat. The crazy thing is my first baseman are Daniel Murphy and Miguel Cabrera. It's like two total, total wild cards, maybe off my team in three weeks. Yeah, I think the TGFBI league I have, Daniel Murphy and Votto. So that's yeah. uh, similar. I like the one thing with just I dominated the last half of this draft, but I want to point out in round 26, I took a stab at Andrew McCutcheon. You know, no DL in this league. We'll see. Um, and, and then you followed that up because, of course, you did with Miggy Cabrera. So I had to Dude, applaud that. He had two home runs off Garrett Cole in a game. And you think, oh, spring training, whatever. But I think it totally matters for a guy that had no power because he was just swinging with his upper half. His knee was sore, and he was just sort of, he had no legs in his swing. And now he's lost some weight, and apparently, he, at least as of you know, in March, he's got plenty of pop in his legs. This guy's one of the best right-handed hitters of all time. Yeah, he's 37, but if anybody can do it, I mean, Nelson Cruz is doing it. You know, why can't Miguel Cabrera, if he's totally healthy, do it one more time? So in round 26, I... I took the chance. I just like, you know, I got Jorge Alfaro. He stole four bases last year. That sounds ridiculous, but for a catcher, that's like plus two to three bases. Just a little bit. Like Man, uh, Manny Margot is the fourth outfielder, but Kiermaier is always hurt, can't hit. So there's a chance Eaton, he's... Eaton can stay healthy. He's, he's, he's good. 15, 15 steals yep. for Eaton. I mean, you had to get some steals. I'm still light. Don't get me wrong. I'm still... You have way more. The other guy I like is Peraza. Peraza is... Uh, battling for the second base job with Michael Chavis, but Chavis may just move over to first base if Mitch Moreland's yeah. hurt or sucks. And Peraza is one of those guys who's like 25 or 26 in a good park. You can easily see that guy hitting like 298 with like 28 steals and, and like 14 home runs, pulled like a Danny Santana type year. You know, just everyone's giving up on him. So, oh, a couple years ago, he was getting drafted aggressively, like people sleepers on the Reds. Like, of course, of course. And the Red, and the other thing that's good about it, people like Jonathan VR because he's on the Marlins. They're like, it's a great landing spot because they don't care. They don't care how good he is. The Red Sox are kind of the Marlins. I mean, if Chris Sale is out for the year, and they they no Mookie Betts, no Chris Sale, they got rid of David Price. I mean, they may just if Peraza wins that job and he's batting like two ninety eight, they might not care. They might just let him play. I mean, what's the big deal? For sure, man. I'm on the Reds. Uh, we can talk futures uh, next week or something. But I, I'm, um, I'm on the. I'm sorry. I'm on the Rays at twenty two to one, man. That you said that the the Red Sox fall in the Yankees. I don't understand how they're over unders one hundred one point five still. That insane, insane, insane to me. But um, so yeah, that's that's my. I, I made a few long shots, but as far as not so long shot, twenty two to one Rays. Really like, but um, yeah, good stuff. Listen, we gonna we gonna do our usual bet. Uh, what is it? Hundred bucks. And, and we'll then do five hundred. Uh, I was five hundred for a win for actual okay. league win. Okay, yeah, I was going to be nice. And I was going to say, what if uh, you win the overall? You pay the other person. Yeah, I was gonna, okay, fine, <laughs> fine. So league win, but that would offset the the league win, though. Uh, right. All right. We'll come up with whatever you think. Just some some sort of thing. If someone wins the overall, they I, I was going to offer you that because I was nice after putting uh-huh. so much together. But you can uh, I don't know. We'll come up with something. I'm sure we'll talk about it on the XM show too. But uh, so you really think my team's going to win the overall? So much that you wanted to get this provision in? <laughs> no, I was trying to be nice, and then you twisted it that way. You're right. That's fine. Uh, no, whatever whatever you want. But uh, you, you, well, I, I would say I would say I'd feel bad if I won the overall and I made you pay 500. So right. I'll say. If you win the overall, you got to pay the dude five hundred, and you don't get the five hundred, so you lose a thousand of it. How about that? Okay. All right. Okay. You want done? You want to do that? So, like, if you win the overall, 
not only do I not pay you 500, you pay me 500. That's what I, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. That is what I meant. Originally. Yeah. Yes. So it's like a thousand dollar swing. Yes. You know, yes. but it's, you'll be rooting for the winning. No, I promise the person will be rooting for. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. Yes. That. It will not, it will not, uh, distort the incentives. No yeah, way. Yeah. So no, it'll be good. It'll give a, one of us to be rooting for the other when we're inevitably in the top 10, of course. Right. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I mean, it's going to be hard for both of us to be in the top 10 in the same league, but it, it has happened before. Um, I don't know. I feel good about it. I mean, again, my team is more screwed up than yours. Your team is more balanced, but I just like my players. I think I got a lot of starting pitching, a lot of batting average, a lot of runs and RBIs, plenty of home runs. And it's just, can I cobble together the steals and my closers? I, I, re- I really don't like I, Liam Hendricks. I'm not, a, I have nothing against him. If I got him in like the 12th round, but I like Jansen better. And we'll see. We'll see how well this holds up. It may be that Jansen's done, and Liam Hendricks is the next great closer. But the way he went uh, to drive line, real man takes your, goes off his own cheat sheet. That's horrible. Yeah, you should have. No, yeah. I did. I did. No, my own cheat sheet had Hendricks higher. But my own, but my own rankings. My own personal, personal, personal. Yes. 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 Um, yeah. No, uh, yeah. No. It's super fun. These drafts for sure. And I've already signed up for the main event. Uh, looking forward to that. Has that been? Uh, people are still going to are, are traveling for that as of now. Uh, yeah, in Vegas they are. New York, I think they still are. But you know, it's going to be like half and half. I feel bad for Greg. Greg is like such a. He's like, all right, we'll accommodate anything you guys want. I'm going to be there and hopefully, you know, he's just like, but luckily, I mean, I shouldn't feel too bad for him. They're having a huge year. And also that, uh, it's the type of business that you can just do online. So it's not really going to, no one wants their money back or anything. They're happy to still do the drafts. I got the second pick in my main event, by the way. Oh, which was my, uh, which is my first choice. Your first choice makes total sense. Yeah. Okay. Uh, nice. Yeah. That, that's yeah. Works for me. That makes sense. Especially with these pitchers going down. Well, yeah. I mean, God. Well, I, I, I don't know if Kershaw's even going to be there at pick 29 on the way back. Right. Right. Oh, totally. Yeah. I know you should be pumped if he is. Would you take, uh, would you take Clevenger there now that he looks kind of healthy? Is he God? Clevenger is projected. Man, I'd have to consider that. I guess. What What is his latest? Is he gonna? How much time is he? Missing? He's gonna throw off a mound, like you know, any day. I mean, I don't know. I mean, he's just a little. Yeah. He's just a little behind time wise, and who knows if his knee feels funny on a pitch or something. But he's so many K's. Yeah, yeah. and he's actually. Um, yeah, yeah, you'd have to consider him right there. Yeah, he would. And what about Verlander? You wouldn't take. You wouldn't take Verlander. Oh no, 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 no! I would not. No. I would not mess with that. Okay. No and here's the other thing I was talking about this on Twitter with Peter Shanky is that, you know, they may postpone the opener or they may have to play without any fans. And if you're baseball, do you really want opening day to be empty in the stands? Like the, the cameras are panning the stands and there's no one there. There's no crowd noise. It's opening day baseball. You're marketing your product to a new set of fans, whoever the new generation of kids are watching. There's no one there. And people are like getting used to watching games from home and not going to games. And do you really want to do that? Or do you want to say, you know what, let's just ride this out and we'll start May 1st and we'll just have a 130 game season. Think about it. Does baseball really want to open with no fans? I guess they'll get in. They'll see how this warriors, you know, how how the the guinea pigs see how it works because i guess i see what you're saying at the same time out of sight out of mind if they just go away for a while how's that going to help but you're saying it's worse to look at a product and see it well just have a delayed alternative is better sitting at home yeah exactly people get new habits but you just get a delayed start 
and 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 you have all the opening day pageantry and festivity, and everyone's happy because you know the illness is on the wane. It may be June first, who knows when? But mm-hmm. you just do like the NBA did with the lockout a couple of years ago, and you just have a shorter season. And and in that case, I, what do you think the odds are of that? You think it's like almost zero, or you think it's like twenty five percent? Yeah, I, I have no idea, but I, I know baseball day base. There are stadiums that are practically empty as is, but I, I have no idea. I don't know. Is, is I'm the talking NBA about opening day, phone? opening day, day games. They're panning around. It's a huge, exciting thing to no fans. They really want that, that, that visual, that optic of their game. Yeah. I don't know. It's, instead I, of I just saying, know. you know what, let's just move this back a bit and get this done. Right. And maybe, you know, it's also the players and the staff there. Like, Someone can get sick or, I mean, probably they're so young, it probably wouldn't be a serious illness. But if they, if they started May 1st, you'd be a lot better off drafting the Verlanders and Aaron judges than you would if they start on time, put it that way. Sure. I think there's a 25% chance or something. Baseball doesn't start as is right now. I don't think that's a crazy thing to say. Right. So don't you have to even underselling. So don't you have to bump up some of the injured guys a little bit? I mean, pitchers are totally dangerous. I mean, I drafted Severino last year and it wouldn't matter what date they started, but if a guy's out a month or a Clevenger who might be delayed two weeks, perfect. Just a knee. Right. So that's, yeah. And just maybe delayed a week or two into the season. Like, I don't know. It's just something to think about when you're drafting. Yeah. That, that is another aspect. You're right. Yeah. That is, yeah, that's, that's interesting. It's, it's all, it's all going to be very different. That's for sure. But, uh, yeah, it's going to be wild. Um, how's the five minute mile coming? So, um, for, I, my ankle acted up a tiny bit yesterday and then they closed the track today. So the, the school's closed. So I don't, I got to figure out where I'm going to run. I might have to risk it running on a harder surface, which is, could shut me down. But and my ankle was barking a tiny bit for the first time anyway, but I ran my ass off on Monday. I did like a regular mile, you know, probably like nine minutes or whatever. I don't know. We didn't time it. And then I went, I went out to run like a 10 minute mile because I always want to win easily. And I want, I never want to push myself to the limit or, or not make it. So I went out and we ran, I ran 8.30 like pretty easy. I mean, yeah, 8.30 like thinking I was running a 10, no problem. Then we ran a 800 meters, which is half a mile in three and a half minutes. So it was a seven minute mile pace for half a mile, a little harder, but I, you know, I had something left in the tank. And so did the seven minute pace for half. Then I ran a 600 meters at 220, which is like a 620 mile pace. And that was kind of hard. I was pretty out of breath running the 620 for 600 meters. Then I ran the uh, 400 meters at a six minute pace. Then I ran 300 meters at roughly a five minute pace. And then I ran the 200 meters in 32 seconds, which is like four, 420, something like that, 420 pace, just for 200 meters though. You know, it's not, it's kind of a sprint. And I think I probably could have gone a little faster. So it was just a, a killer like workout. And now the track is shut down. So I got to, I got to figure this shit out before I lose my, I don't want to lose any of the gains I've made. No, for sure. That sounds like a setback. Don't, yeah, don't let that stop you. Uh, it sounds like you're making encouraging results. I'm rowing more and more meters myself, but uh, not uh, not to the intensity that you are. So, uh, did you got to do? You, gotta, you, you should do some bench pressing or push ups and bench presses. I do push ups. Okay. I do push ups. I do push ups. Right. I do push ups as well. Um, not much else uh, for those who watched the documentary, The Jinx on HBO. 
this is not for some reason not getting a ton of publicity. I guess there's people uh, more concerned with other matters. But uh, Robert Durst is going on trial in L.A. right now, and it's pretty fascinating. Like he's admitted to writing that letter. That right. Is, uh, it's pretty, pretty crazy, fascinating trial going on in real life. Robert Durst uh, in L.A. And uh, it was a. Uh, and an uneven season, Curb delivered a freaking classic episode last week with John Hamm, and I highly recommend it if uh, anyone hasn't seen it. And uh, that's all I got for you, Liz. Uh, stay safe out there and wash your hands, man. All right, man. You too. Take it easy, man.